I am Doug Friedman. And I am Sasha Brodsky. And this is Your Mental Breakdown, Mm. the podcast. Yay. (laughs) Welcome, Sasha. Hey, Doug. You are not Meredith. I am not Meredith. I had to look in the mirror this morning and go, I am not Meredith. So... (laughs) And here I am not being Meredith. So. That's right. Yeah, That's right. But just, you are being you. I am just being me. That's all I can be. What yeah. is that saying? I think it's Oscar Wilde. It's like, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Or nice. It might be one of those things that's like wrongly attributed to Oscar <laughs> Wilde. But right. uh, when it was really know. like some dude in the 1420s. Yeah. Who knows? It, it's actually like Einstein or, you know, right. everything goes to Einstein too. <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't really discover relativity. Hmm. Um, it was his brother, his relative. I have no idea. I'm just making my stuff up. <laughs> I was actually believing you there for a second. Right? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> the, the only original things that I say are things like that that okay. are completely fabricated. <laughs> Everything else is just, right? you know, that makes sense. Exactly. Speaking of fabrication, mm-hmm. we are both licensed therapists here for your enjoyment mm-hmm. and possibly your education. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Six of one, half a dozen of the other. That sounds remarkably like the same number. What? That's crazy. I used to be really confused about what a baker's dozen was. I was just going to say that. (laughs) I'm so glad you did. Okay. I worked at a bagel shop in college. I worked in a bagel shop. Well, I was 15, but Okay. I was, I think I started when I was probably 17 and I went to college and yeah. Yeah. What is it about? uh, It's 13, right? A baker's dozen is just one more. Is it something having to do with a bar bar mitzvah? Oh, wow. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> Probably I've not. No. just been exposed as being a bad Jew. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it probably has absolutely... Please, if someone has any knowledge on the baker's dozen. Yeah. And did you just go there like bagels and Jews? Like that? that's where we went? I really did. And I'm so sorry. Please cut this out. <laughs> totally no, inappropriate. No, going in. Speaking of bar and bat mitzvah, I'm just going to keep segueing like that oh, all yeah, over please. the place. Please go for it. It's funny, you and I were just talking about this a little while ago. Mm-hmm. You had a birthday not mm-hmm. too long ago. Yes. Meredith had a birthday oh. not very long ago. Happy birthday, Meredith. Oh, well, you know, it was like a month ago. Oh, was, okay. I think before so yours. Yeah. yeah. And I just had a birthday two days ago. Happy birthday, you. Thank yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And Drew was talking mm-hmm. about his birthday. Mm-hmm. Like birthdays all around us. Seriously. It's Seems amazing. like they happen every year. It's really, you should like put it in a calendar or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. I, I think of Mary and I were talking about this, that December and January mm-hmm. birthdays kind of get the short end of it because of the holidays. Like, yes. Yeah. As a kid, I remember because my birthday is right before Christmas. Right. And everyone would be on Christmas vacation. And so I mm-hmm. couldn't have like a birthday party as a kid. Right. And, you know. Now it matters slightly less because I don't think I'd want to have a birthday party anyways, unless I could invite Beckett. Um, Yeah, that's, I I remember we would do the half birthday. Like we would Mm. celebrate my birthday in July, not January. Okay. Yeah. That way in LA, like summertime, go to the park, have a bunch of people. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. There was one year I was in Australia over the Christmas holidays and getting to have my birthday in the beautiful summer months. Nice. Yeah. It was such a shift to not have, and mind you, I was living on the East coast at the time. So. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. So to have this like, wow, people celebrate Christmas and it's like summer here. (laughs) And then like (laughs) New Year's Eve in Sydney, Australia, where it's like, it was. You were were in Sydney? I was in Sydney for part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. One of my good friends from high school was from Sydney. Mm. Another one from here now lives in Melbourne. Mm. And I I have to say the Australian accent is one of my favorite accents and I cannot do it. I completely stink. Yeah. 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 I'm with you on that. I'm also (laughs) slightly obsessed with the New Zealand accent. Oh, really? Yeah. It's phenomenal. It's different. It's different. It is different. So, yeah. Yeah. It's cool because I think... I used to try mm. to do Australian and it would come out British. Okay. And my British also isn't very good. <laughs> like, maybe I just can't do accents. Well, I am historically <laughs> terrible at accents, but when I was younger, I was 
horribly obsessed with the movie Trainspotting. And, uh, yeah. you know, I would just sit there and try to do a Scottish accent like over and over and over. And basically <laughs> I was just quoting Trainspotting. Right. For, yeah. But see, I mean, I learned like British that it's a different way of talking mm -hmm. through like the Beatles and yeah. loving the Beatles. Completely. And I'm like, oh, right. So they must sound like that. Like, oh, no, that's Liverpudling. That's just Liverpool. Right. And right. Um, there's this one British panel show I watch all the time, but to hear all the different like accents throughout the UK in general, right. every single area, maybe not every, I'm being very general right now <laughs> and absolutist, every area. Um, all the time. All the time, Everybody. always, That's never right. anything else. Right. Man, we're just being <laughs> bad therapists <laughs> over here. We're off but, the clock. Yeah. Yeah. But they all have these very different and... I, I guess it's, you know, similar to here in the U.S., like oh, yeah, New York sounds drastically different. Yeah, than different than L.A., different Texas. than the South, different than Texas, yeah. totally. Yeah. And, and then all the, the different regional. Oh, yeah. And even thinking of different countries mm -hmm. that we're not that familiar with mm -hmm. where we think like, oh, yeah, they all speak. That. I remember China thinking like, oh, yeah, they all speak Chinese. Like, mm -hmm. oh, no. Oh, no. There's oh, no. Mandarin and Cantonese. Mm -hmm. And then. Mm -hmm. A hundred other different dialects and different, very slight variations mm -hmm. because of the region, but some totally. of those slight differences are yeah. tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. And what I, do you hear Beckett snoring right now? Can <laughs> are we you... boring you, Beckett? <laughs> Sorry, buddy. He just wants us to stop talking about uh, <laughs> dialects and accents and, you know. Yeah. I was asking him how he feels about it, about the different accents. Mm -hmm. He just said it's rough. <laughs> 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 thank you yeah. thank you and on that note let us get uh right to sarah and yeah. uh listen up hang in there we will be back well we're actually not going anywhere we will still be here mm -hmm. and be back I'm very critical with myself and I always tell you things that are very critical about myself no one's going to be as critical of you as you that's true I remember times where I've had what I consider a bad show and somebody will come up to me afterwards and say, oh my God, you sounded so amazing. Oh my gosh. One time when I was, I couldn't have been more than 11. There was like 250 of us living in this place. And every now and then they would come over for dinner and we would put on a big show for them. And it was a whole big facade because it was complete crap. And they loved me because I was always up on the stage freaking performing for them. Even at 11 years old, I just remember thinking, oh, if only you knew what you were giving wow. money to. Like, oh, it's that feeling of guilt. But obviously, it's not really my guilt. But at 11 right. years old, it is my guilt. It's like, oh, this is just a complete and total lie. And money to me, I didn't really know anything about money. We went on the streets and sold stuff and got money and turned it in, right? So right. that's like right. their child labor side of the cult. But there was no benchmark. So like, okay, how much does $5 get me? I had none of that. But when you quantify something like the house that we were living in, Mm -hmm. Even though I had no real benchmark for like what costs what, I knew that was a big deal. For sure, that was something big that they were doing. Yeah, it's interesting because you you didn't really have a concept of, of money mm -hmm. in terms of like in the practical sense, what does $5 get you? What does $5 mean? Right? Exactly. But it sounds like you had a sense of what like Scale. a big deal is. Right. Yeah. 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 Were you exposed to other kids outside of the cult and have a sense of who has money, who doesn't, or was it very insular? Like you just, you just really didn't know. Yeah, it was very insular. I mean, in the only time we ever had contact with the outside world was when we were going door to door and witnessing mm -hmm. to people like, you know, when the Jehovah's witnesses show up at your door and you're like, Ugh. sure. That was us. Right, <laughs> Only we right. were a bunch of nine, 10, eight year olds. Yeah. Whew. Luckily uh, for me, I didn't have to experience that too many times. We were actually in a place where we were filming and performing and doing all the, the other stuff. <laughs> so I only experienced that 
horrible, horrible, gut-wrenching feeling like once or twice. But to this day, I can't ask somebody for something without returning yeah. the favor because I, I just feel yucky. It was like I would stand there and think, why in the world would these people just give us their money or buy this crap that we're selling them? I never really understood it. Luckily, I never really had to, to be honest. Sure. But the two times I did experience were are like burned in my mind. Like I wanted to hmm. cry and throw up like all at the same time. I was really? mortified. Yeah. Hmm. And then I have a cousin who that's all she ever did her whole life. From the time she was like three years old, she was on the streets making money. And she right. is so comfortable with it to this day. They don't have to give me money if they don't want to. Right. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God, I can't do it. <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah. And there's, there's something about that. I, I wonder for you, because that idea of having peop- somebody do something for me, but needing that kind of exchange, that reciprocity, sometimes that's so that balance sheet is even. Mm-hmm. I don't owe them something. They can't hold anything over me. Could be that. Could be. Might be. But it could also be this yucky feeling I get. Can feel like, well, it's, it's sort of snake oil or I'm manipulating them. And Exactly. Uh, that was my feeling. I was so scared of what would happen to me. There was just always this part of me that was like the justice warrior. Like, I need to fix this because this is wrong somehow. But I never did because I was scared. <laughs> that leaves quite an imprint on us. Mm-hmm. But I want to I dig a little bit at that, that idea of feeling like yucky if somebody does something for you or gives something to you when you don't have the exchange. Let me clarify that. If someone yeah, does please. something for me just mm-hmm. because they want to, that's different. Asking for it is what gives me the funny feeling. So ah. like, oh, I'm moving. Can you all come over and help me? If you have a truck, bring it. Absolutely. You know, friends and family, that's what we do. But for sure, I'm going to get them back somehow. There's always a part of me that thinks no matter how small, it has to be something that shows Mm. I didn't just take your money and it's weird. Yeah, it's not weird. It's residue from from some imprinting where we're talking about value. And I think something that's still hard for you to accept or allow in other people is that they might value something that you don't value, or they might value you, which again might be something you don't value. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Right? A lot of times when we ask people for something, we'll build in an excuse for them. And for some, it's to protect us from the disappointment of them saying no. And for some, it's to protect us from owing them something. The example I gave you when I first did this was a client that said he was having a wedding in Santa Barbara and wanted to invite people to the wedding. And he invited somebody and said, but I know you just had a kid. So if you can't make it up, that's okay. And he's building in the excuse. And what we talked about was he's robbing that person of an opportunity to show how much that person appreciates you. I do that all the time. Right. Literally all the time. (laughs) Interesting. There's two robberies there. It robs them of the opportunity to show an appreciation for you. And it robs you of the opportunity to be appreciated. Hmm. Yeah. When I relate that to current life, it makes perfect sense. Now, if the situation comes up like a fundraiser for junior guards, I'm just, hey, I've got these tickets. And literally in my email, it said, hey, I've got these tickets. They're $5. If you guys want to help out, If you don't, of course I understand, and please don't worry about it. That was literally my email. I still felt like we owed them something back in a sense. They did this nice thing, so now my kids have to do a nice thing, and probably it was for me. Sometimes the nice thing that you can do is to acknowledge somebody else's nice gesture. Yes. Period. Even that email... I want to see if we can kind of play with it a little bit and look at what the ask would be if we didn't have the the stop or the excuse. And I just want to see what it would sound like to not put on the brakes, which which you did in the email. 
Like if you don't want to do it, it's okay. No problem. There's no obligation. If we take that out, what would it sound like to you? Even when I was picking who to send the email to, I had that in my head. Like, okay, who would, who would not feel like they were being taken advantage of? It's all on me for sure. It's a whole (laughs) thing, whole thing for me to ask for, especially when it involves money. Yeah. And and even as you just said that, especially, I mean, you put up the defense hands, you put up the stop, right? I mean, I don't know what you were planning on talking about today, what I was planning on talking about today, but we're here. And there's something to this that ultimately relates to your self-worth and how you value you. Yeah, there is for sure. Defending and protecting other people and not wanting to put them out and the, the guilt that we might feel or the shame or the embarrassment that we might feel. What we miss in that, like I said, is, is that robbing others and yourself of the opportunity to have that appreciation somewhat foreign to you, especially with that imprinting of like, you know, the snake oil salesman. Yep. We just feel so bad about that. We don't want to do it. I'm going to go further, a little bit further into the sort of the, I I hate the word trauma, but the trauma. We can call it experience, but it's, it's traumatic. Yeah. Sure. There was so much conditioning around lying to people. So Mm. not only would we be Mm. told exactly what to say, we would be told how to smile, when to smile, when we were going through what they called persecution. So over the loudspeaker in this place we lived in, three different songs would play at any given moment. So if it was the police a song would play and we all had places to go and hide, essentially. Put away all these things super fast and hide all this stuff. And then those of us who had parents in the leadership or who were on videos that were being sold, etc., we would literally hide in what was a bomb shelter mm. at the bottom of this compound that we lived in. It was so crazy, like so crazy. And it was, you had to listen to which song it was. And then you knew like your plan of action. And I just always remember just being so not okay is the only way I can say it. Because I mean, again, I was a young child. So I have no explanation as to why I thought this was not okay. But it just made me so uncomfortable and so, so anxious because I just felt like, well, if we shouldn't be being taken away from you, then what the hell, why are we hiding? (laughs) That was my little child mind thinking that. Yeah. It sounds like what you were kind of processing as a kid is, well, there must be something wrong going on here. Because if there wasn't anything wrong, why would we need to hide in a bomb shelter? And you had to do it the right way. Oh, yeah. And in a time limit, too. They would time us kind of like a fire drill, right? Only as a child, that was my only experience with that kind of drill. A lot of this keeps you on alert at all times. At all times, yeah. And that's something that we've talked about, that hypervigilance, that always kind of being ready at any moment that anything could happen. And it's exhausting. It's incredible. Yeah. The amount of stress and fear and anxiety that comes along with that, that's just kind of embedded in your upbringing as a kid. We were constantly drilled on a daily basis. It was, how would you respond to this if somebody asked you? How would you respond to this? And then they would give you your response, which you had to memorize. Mm. And at any moment, at any time of the day, somebody could walk up to you and be like, I'm a cop and Um, you need to answer me, go. And they would ask the question and you would have to just give this like perfect answer. This place is amazing. I'm so happy here and nothing bad ever happens. It's interesting because you're you're talking about being conditioned to lie, like you said, being punished Mm -hmm. when you weren't. I'm not Mm -hmm. even going to say rewarded when you did. It's more punished when you weren't, right? Never rewarded, no. Right. The way you knew you were doing good is that you weren't doing bad. Exactly. Doing good meant I was 
I was not seen. I was anonymous. I was left alone. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly the case, which is why for most of my life, I was left alone because I just didn't do anything against them. I did exactly what I was told to do. I said exactly what I was supposed to say. And then I just kind of faded into the background, which was, again, I think my survival mechanism. or Absolutely. I hope we understand, you and I, that there is a tremendous amount of compassion that we have for that little Sarah. It was necessary for survival. Yes. And it was very traumatic. Mm -hmm. We're getting to look at it now. We're looking at the data that I know you love and seeing where some of this came from, but we need to start accumulating more data for, can it look differently if I do it differently? Mm -hmm. What would that be like? And we're working against decades of conditioning, unconsciously conditioning. Once you left the cult at 15, the imprinting was still there. Yep. And a lot of what you describe about, I I just don't feel good asking somebody for something without giving them something in return. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's foreign to you to be told you're doing good. Yeah. So it would be foreign to you to be appreciated for the sake of just being yourself. No, no, I must be appreciated because I did something or I can give something in return. That's for sure true. And I get very um, uncomfortable when I get complimented. I get giggly when I'm uncomfortable or I'll be like, oh, no, 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 no. It's, you know, just par for the course. There it is. The defense (laughs) hands again, right? No, 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 no. Right. Yeah, it's no big deal. Something I would love to see eventually, the gestures going, yeah, you know, motioning in and bringing in and looking at what you want to bring in to your life. You've had to be guarded against so much stuff your entire life. Mm -hmm. It's scary to let things in, to let that guard down. Part of it is at the core how you value yourself, not just people being able to appreciate you or somebody offering you something or no, it's, it's your own value, right? When you and I first talked and you couldn't afford my rate and I told you, right? And you're laughing. Okay. Take over for me here. No, first I want to hear what you thought because I was having so much anxiety just responding to you. Right. One that's always a really hard conversation for me to have money or value any, no money, anything to Mm -hmm. do with money. Cause I, I feel like your value is very high. So I should at minimum be able to pay you what you're worth because everybody should be paid what they deserve to be paid. I believe that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that conversation, even when it was reversed, when it was me doing a service, it was such an awkward, difficult conversation for me to have, even Mm. as the one that was going to make the money. So it's even more so as the one who's going to owe the money. I didn't want you to think that I thought your services were worth this much because that was not the case, but it's hard. Again, we didn't know each other very well at the time. And I don't know. It's so hard for me, honestly, Doug, I have, it's so hard for me to have those conversations. (laughs) I don't even know why. Yeah. Well, we do know why. And this is what we're talking about. It's about valuing yourself and it's about allowing other people to set their value. And it's also about you feeling like that, that snake oil feeling like, well, They might be valuing something, but they're not really get, they don't really get it. They don't really see it. There's a a great story that I love that highlights this. (laughs) Me and a buddy went to Dodger Stadium many years ago. I'm guessing you know who the Dodgers are, right? I Good. Okay. (laughs) And this was back in the days when you could buy tickets in the parking lot. And we've known each other since we were nine years old. We grew up watching the Dodgers and playing baseball together. And we wanted good seats and we knew where we wanted to sit. And we find this guy and we're like, okay, we, we want to sit in this section. It's like, I've got, I've got tickets in that section. Great. Whatever the haggling started at, I don't remember. I, I think he might've maybe he said like $50 each. Okay. I'm like, great. Here's, here's a hundred bucks. And we got the two tickets 
and we were stoked. It was exactly where we wanted to sit, right by the dugout. And it was amazing. It was fantastic. As we finished the transaction, he said, huh, I would have taken 50 for both. And I'm pretty sure it was my buddy, but he says it was me that said this, but I'll give him the credit. He said, yeah, we would have paid 100 for each. Just kind of saying nice. like, look, you think you got us. We think we got you. And the reality was yep. we were okay paying that and we got it. Like we were fine. What do you, what do you think of that? It's interesting because I always undervalue myself, even when I, especially mm. when I was doing makeup and hair, I would talk myself out of a good pay day <laughs> just because right. I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, making all these excuses for the other person in my own head. And then- mm -hmm. I would be finished and they would be so happy that they will like end up giving me a massive tip just because they felt I, I was underpaid for the right. services that I offered them. But there's still never been a point in my life where I stopped and said, okay, you know what? My haircuts are worth this much money. And if you don't want to mm. pay that much money, then you can go somewhere else and get right. a bad haircut. So in my mind, I know my skill set or skill level. I sure. know data-wise what it's worth. So I know what right. my skill level is worth. But there's always a part of me that like convinces myself to not say, you know what, this is what I'm worth. And if you don't want to pay it, go find somebody else. <laughs> Although I did do pretty good this, this time around. I'm quite <laughs> proud of myself right? for that. Yeah, But that yeah. was really difficult for me. I had to take like a whole Xanax before I had that conversation. <laughs> Maybe this ties back into my sort of overall self-doubt, self-worth doubt. I love it when I'm not the, the subject matter. If we, if we think about it as not a criticism, but as, as a guide for us, because one of the hardest things to do as a human is to have objectivity about your own life. 100% agreed. This is just always how I think about everything about me. I, I don't, I, it's a problem for sure. Sort of, but that's a problem almost everybody has is what I'm saying. Yeah. It is nearly impossible to look at yourself objectively. That's why most people that want that kind of voice will either go to therapy, talk to a friend, have someone that they can bounce something off of because they can't see it for themselves. Yeah. That's okay. One-on-one, -on -one, we're working towards a goal and you're looking in my eyes and you're not just mm -hmm. hearing my voice. There are times where you will say something and the way my brain works, I'd say on this side of the room, but on this side of the computer, <laughs> is that I look at, oh, she said this, this fits in with this. I can, we can go here, we can go here, we can go there. Yep. Which, which one do I choose? And I'll put pins in things. You've heard me say that. I'm going to put a pin in that. We'll come back. I to copied that. you on that. It's really interesting because there are some things that you'll hit and we won't necessarily dive into. We'll just kind of veer mm -hmm. or we'll put a pin because I'll think, oh yeah, we should talk about that. I need to go that pull that pin out again. Yeah. The, the, yeah. We need, we need to hit that pin. Like, oh yeah, we're talking about that. That's, we're going to hit that three or four steps from now. There's something I want to hit with you. Because it, it goes to your self-worth. What if I said to you, you know what? We're going to stop recording because I, I don't want there to be any value exchange that way. I don't want it there at all. What would you think of that? Then I would think, well, shit, I can't afford you. So <laughs> don't, I can't keep doing therapy. It's not dependent on, on this. Yeah. We can cut, I, and I ask you every week before every session, are you cool to keep recording? Yeah. You can say no at any time. I'm not going to go, oh, all right, well, then I can't work with you. That's not going to happen. I was going to say no, like just for fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm kidding. I would never. <laughs> Honestly, I, I'm very comfortable because I truly That's believe. That's not the question. Pause for a second. You're Pause. right. You're right. Pause. That's not the, the question. question isn't, are you comfortable recording? I know you are. Otherwise, we wouldn't record. Yeah. I know you are. I get that. My question is, if I said, we're going to stop recording and I'm going to continue to do therapy with you for the price that we agreed on, how would that be for you? Well, now that I know you better, 
and you've told me a number of times how you have clear boundaries and you would never agree to something or say something if you weren't okay with it. I have that data, which now allows me to say, okay, well, if you told me we were fine to continue even without the recording, then Mm -hmm. I would take that. And then when I was able, I would probably say, I can probably bump up my weekly rate. (laughs) That's my honest reaction. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And how would it feel for you? To say that or... What I'm driving at is, would there be a sense of, even if it's small, a sense of, oh, wow, he really does value me. I am valued. I mean, I'm going to work on that feeling. I'll take but that. But if it's take today, it, there would, it would always be in the back of my mind for sure. That I was somehow fine. ripping you off. Right. That's fine. I'm okay with that being in the back of your mind, middle or front of your mind. That's the imprinting. That's there. What I want to see if we can grow is that piece that might be in the back of your mind also of, oh, this is okay. I do have value as a human. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm worth it. Not it's worth it for him. I'm worth it. Okay. I'm going to give you one more pin before we stop. Okay. Right. When yep. you're saying all that stuff, yep. my mind goes to the person who has the complete opposite and value thinks they are more valuable than they are and who consistently puts that on other people. So there's another worry for me, right? There's always that worry for me that if I get that confidence and I get that sort of mm-hmm. healthy mm-hmm. attitude, you're going to turn into. Yep. And now I'll just, everybody will hate me <laughs> already. I walk a fine line, I think. So because of that, I need to make sure that I'm not an asshole. The pin is scarcity, scarcity and abundance with the scarcity mentality versus an abundance mentality. Scarcity is there's not enough. There's only so much. It's finite. So I need to get mine. If I'm getting mine, they're not going to get theirs. If they're getting theirs, I can't have mine. But as long as they have theirs, okay, good. They're they're taken care of. Well, maybe if there's any left. Hmm. Interesting. If I'm holding out hors d'oeuvres for everybody, like everybody can have hors d'oeuvres, everybody can get one. What about you? No, don't worry. Like you, you all take what you need and then you don't get to eat at the party. That's my party. Right. And that's, that's a party where you, you will say to yourself, but I was nourished by everybody having a good time. Yep. And an abundance mentality is, here's all these hors d'oeuvres. We can make more. Yeah. Take whatever you want. It's cool. Yeah. Go for it. I'm going to have a couple too. Interesting. There's enough for everybody to go around. We'll talk more about abundance and scarcity. It's a good pin because it's a good thing to look at. It's a good way to see value and worth all around you and for yourself. Yes. Awesome. Thanks, Doug. And we are back. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Long time no see. Yeah. And we just got right into it right away with <laughs> performance anxiety. I know, totally. Which <laughs> I'm so glad you guys started off with that because like full transparency, like I feel it. It's a little weird to be behind a microphone sometimes. And I think I said this to you before, not have a guitar. Right. But I love that. The idea like no one is going to be as critical of you than you. Totally. Totally. I think most of us as humans can relate to that. Oh man. Thinking about all the things I could have done better or I'm in my head about. And it's, Mm -hmm. yeah. And that same thing. And and you and I have bonded on this. Mm -hmm. Like I grew up being in front of mics with Mm -hmm. guitars, like to just go out and sing or speak. It was weird. Like, Mm -hmm. no, I I want that security blanket of a guitar. I I want (laughs) to. Can I hold one of those right now? (laughs) Exactly. And there's like, yeah, there are six of them right there. Totally. Me and my guitars, Mm -hmm. it's that security blanket. And sometimes we need that. Being critical. Like I've had shows where Mm -hmm. I know I played the wrong chord progression for a chorus. Totally. Nobody else knew. No. But I did. Like I wrote that song. That was my Mm -hmm. thing. I played the complete wrong chord progression. I don't even know how people like could hear it well because it was 
wrong and I'm singing wrong and what the heck? And mm-hmm. I recover mid song and it's fine. And totally. Okay. It's just about going out there. Like, and it's one thing, it's so easy for me with, if you play the wrong chord, you're like, I played E minor. That was supposed to be an A minor. And like, you just own it and keep going. Right. And no one knows. Right. But this idea of being critical of yourself and like what you do and what you say is, I don't know, for some reason, a little bit different. And something I think about a lot is if someone, and this is something I say to clients is like, if someone talked to you the way you talk to yourself, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you would have a major issue with that. Right. If someone talked to someone you care about the way you talk to yourself. Right. 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 You'd probably go ballistic. We know with Sarah, she's mama bear. Right. Someone talked to one of her kids the way she's critical of herself. Yeah. And that's something like she and I've talked about mm-hmm. actually, in, uh, which you've heard Yes, of trying to see how she would talk to little Sarah. Oh, would you talk to it. that little kid version of you that way? Yeah. And the little kid version of her was talked to that way, which is repeatedly horribly, horribly traumatic. Totally. And it's, yeah, we don't even realize that that's mm-hmm. happening. And it, we do that in our own heads Completely. so much. I mean, yeah. missing a wrong chord, playing an E minor instead of A minor. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, you guys can't even see what I did right there, but it's like, oh my God. Like m- the way my head would go with that is like, oh my gosh, I'm such a idiot. Right. And yep. this idea of just being able to let things go and like oh. we make mistakes and... It's so hard. I mean, yeah. it's funny. I just posted on social media. Mm-hmm. Somebody, you know, did one of those like my therapist, mm-hmm. colon, be kinder to yourself. Yeah. My brain, colon. Yeah, be kinder to yourself, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yeah. I love that. Yep. My version of that is well, I'm trying. Me also, try harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. It's just, yeah, that, that's in there. That's yeah. in there for a lot of us. And I think. Sarah is somebody that can be very critical, mm-hmm. especially about herself. Correct. Yeah. And with others, she'll want to understand why are they this like, mm-hmm. why are they this way? Why are yeah. they doing this? What is that about? Totally. And I love that she's in therapy looking at, well, what does that mean for you? What are you about? What is that? Yeah. Right. And I think she's someone who's very quick. Like she is quick to judgment, but she's also quick to compassion for other people and really mm. trying to be, give that benefit of the doubt to others at times. Right. <laughs> depending. Right. And you guys have talked about this, the idea of extending that compassion to herself now, compassion to little Sarah, like all of it. And with that critical voice and like, I know with Drew, you talk about it as like the Vader voice. I don't think you necessarily go there with Sarah. I don't think we use the same language, but very, very close. Totally. We're talking about the same stuff for sure. And I know she also has missed out on some cultural references that you guys have talked about. But sometimes it's this breaking down of like, don't believe everything you think. Just Mm. because something crosses your mind does not necessarily mean it's true. Right. The thought just pops up. The Mm -hmm. thought doesn't define you. It isn't who you are. Totally. I mean, a lot of what therapy can Mm -hmm. be for people is these thoughts are popping up. Let me make sense of them. Totally. It's so hard, but a a lot of what I give her credit for, and I think she's incredibly resilient and insightful from such a young age, Mm because there were things to her growing up in the cult that Mm-hmm. didn't make sense. And she's like, this isn't right. And that was yeah. you know, when she was talking about the, the snake oil salesman. Oh my God. Feeling, right? That was amazing. Right. And like how she identifies herself as a justice warrior. Yeah. Like, I love that. Right. And this idea of the insular nature of the cult that you mm. kind of touched mm-hmm. on. Right. And it sounds like for her, like most people growing up, you don't realize that your family or your childhood or anything about your existence is maybe abnormal in some ways and not abnormal in the clinical way, <laughs> right. but like slightly different until right. like you get a little older and you're over at a friend's house and you're like, Oh, you guys do that. Yeah. That's right. weird. Or, right. and it's not, but for her, she had all these kind of moments of clarity being like, wait, mm-hmm. I don't stand with this. Yeah. And that, that's, I mean, some of the conditioning that she'd gone through, mm-hmm. I think it was really cool mm-hmm. when she said, hang on a second. If when we hear these songs, we're supposed to like run, take cover and pretend like everything's okay. If we weren't doing something wrong, we yes. wouldn't need to be on alert and hide. So totally. something here is wrong. Yes. This idea of the lack of transparency really oh, huge. is... I just wanted to be like, of course you're hypervigilant. Of course, like all of this makes so much sense. 
and how you put it, like all of that makes sense. And how can you start doing things a little bit differently and allow yourself to have a little bit of a different experience now? Right. Because it is new and uncomfortable, but in part of like, even you, Sasha is saying, how can she allow herself to do this? She does it with her kids. Yeah. And she can catch herself when she isn't doing Mm -hmm. it with her kids. Like, and she can correct without Mm -hmm. being super critical. Yeah. I wonder sometimes if her looking for all these data points is a way to be critical without being so harsh. Mm. Introduce this idea of a little bit more gentleness. Yeah. Because like people yeah. are always about being kind and like, yeah, I've been trying to settle a little bit more into being gentle. Mm. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's the compassion piece for yeah. sure. And it's something that, man, again, for mm. her is so hard because mm-hmm. it, it was not ingrained. It was not there. There wasn't safety. You know, when Bonnie yeah. was on last week, we were mm-hmm. talking about like mm-hmm. that idea of, is this safe or does it just remind me of a time when I felt unsafe? Yes. And for, for Sarah, it was absolutely not safe. Completely. Right. And all of the ways that she has adapted were mm. a protective mechanism right. Right. to ensure safety. Exactly. And it's remarkable. It's right. completely these beautiful superpower adaptations. Oh, yeah. Like I think of trauma as being like a superpower at times mm. where you develop this amazing sense to be able to read a room yeah. or amazing like yeah. sense of empathy. Right. But then sometimes it goes a little bit in overdrive in certain situations. and Totally. I mean, with great power comes great responsibility and straight up Spider-Man. And, <laughs> totally. and trauma is the radioactive spider that bites you. you oh, know? my. And now, okay. <laughs> We've got to learn how to hone that power and what do we do with it? As opposed to going like, oh, right, my hypervigilance, I'm mama bear. I need to not be that anymore. No, yeah. you just yeah. need to control where and when it comes out because it's it's a wonderful, wonderful quality and protective yes, mechanism totally. that's not as necessary all the time now. Yes. Right? And it's like these ways that you have adapted to survive yeah. We evolve past needing them for survival. Right. right. And that's where she is. That's what I hear yeah. is her taking this step in like, thank you, adaptive survival mechanisms. Thank uh-huh. you. I appreciate what you have done for <laughs> yeah. me and I release you from your service. Exactly. We're good. I might call on you again at oh, some point, but at this point, yeah. yeah, go have an umbrella drink on the beach. We're good. <laughs> Totally. And I love how you put it as like the residue from imprinting because she has such a, and I, I, I'm curious of how she is. I want to say in the room in quotation marks, (laughs) she seems to have such a visceral reaction to the word trauma. Oh yeah. I like how you go to experience or like residue imprinting, like, and just all these different ways to say the same thing, but in different words that are her words over her experience. And it's really cool, that piece of it, because yeah, she just hates that word. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and I don't blame her. Yeah. We do this work all the time. So Mm -hmm. that word, I wouldn't say we're immune to it. It still has an effect and still means Mm -hmm. something. And early on, she didn't want to be called a trauma survivor. Mm -hmm. She doesn't like that. Some of us think of people that are trauma survivors as mm-hmm. there's either some wound, some break, mm-hmm. some weakness. Victim. Victim. Yeah. Exactly. You know, totally. that, that was big for her. Like, I, yeah, I, don't, totally. I don't want to be victim. Like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, A, you're not a victim by that standard. And B, you're not fine. Unless we're going with the definition of fine, of fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Nice, nice callback. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But totally. And it's like stepping away from this victim narrative that she has always set herself against in stance. And perpetuates and and in in ways that are often unconscious. And this is Mm -hmm. what it's our job to do. Mm -hmm. She, you know, Bonnie said something last week mm-hmm. when we were breaking it down, said something about the power dynamic, just of yeah. me and Sarah, mm-hmm. right? And was saying like, oh, I bet the cult leader was a white cisgender male also. Yeah. And I wonder how that dynamic is going to play out. And there was something really, really cool about this session mm-hmm. that I caught as happening and was like, wow, that was great. Mm-hmm. Where we were just talking about something in a moment and 
she was getting what I was saying. Mm -hmm. like she, she seemed to get it. I just kind of went, oh, you see what I'm saying? Why don't yeah. you take over for me? Totally. And she said, no, I want to hear what you think first. Yeah. And then she proceeded to totally. tell me what she thought. But I'm just that, yeah, that, that deference or that power dynamic of, yeah. no, because I might be wrong, because it might not be the right thing to say. And, and no, no, yeah. you're the expert. I'm not. Totally. I'm, I'm subordinate in some way. Yeah. I'm lesser. And, and she worked through that with that unconsciously. Totally. And like you allowed her to do that, which is exactly. really beautiful. And she took the lead. Mm -hmm. And so much of her, and I'm going to quote, air quote this, her trauma is around power dynamics. Absolutely. Yeah, that's going to come up. Yeah. And a lot of the her coming up against the power dynamic was, I need mm -hmm. to fight it. Yes. I need to somehow fight it or avoid it. Yes. And for her to recognize her own strength and be okay mm. with it, yeah. it's new. She even said in this one, yeah. it, you know, it's foreign to be appreciated you know, yeah. for herself. Like she's uncomfortable with compliments. Yeah. Of course, you know, she was never really rewarded when things mm -hmm. were good. Yeah. It was good meant I'm not being beaten. I'm not Correct. being punished. Totally. And right? so she doesn't know how to accept that when it happens. Right. Yeah. Like if you've grown up in an environment where all you've had is like bad and punishment for being bad, I think you guys hit on it in the sense of like, you want to be left alone and not seen. Being invisible was safe. Right. Right. Being seen is bad right. and unsafe. So this idea of being seen in a positive way is just Antarctica to her. And it's so <laughs> probably really confusing to her because yeah. a lot of how she was seen mm -hmm. was doing these promotional or marketing videos or uh, performances yeah. for the cult. Yeah. And that's where a few weeks ago she would see her profile and it freaked her out or she would see herself mm -hmm. a certain yeah. way or she messed up lyrics to a, a song that they were performing. Totally. It's goes back to what she and I were talking about in the very, very beginning, performance mm -hmm. anxiety, like mm -hmm. missing something. But Ugh. for her, it's not just performance anxiety like you and I would have what mm -hmm. they call red light fever. When we hit the record button, you kind of freeze up, right? Ah! Right? There are so many famous stories of mm -hmm. like Jimi Hendrix, for example, would kick everybody out of the booth when he was doing vocals. Didn't want anybody to listen to him sing. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have performance anxiety. Yeah. For her, it wasn't just anxiety. It was if I do it mm -hmm. wrong. Yeah. There is a severe consequence yeah. that's not okay. And the dichotomy that she has between good and bad, right or wrong is really intense because what I was really thinking about when you guys were talking about being good was being anonymous and not mm -hmm. being seen and being left alone mm -hmm. or being bad was being beaten. Right. But it developed this idea of she, if she follows rules and order, which she is someone who's very oriented in yes. yep. rules and order, then she is not seen. Mm, which right. is the survival mechanism. Right. And it perpetuates that. Totally. If I'm not seen, if I'm left alone. Totally. Okay. Right. And then right. she feels invisible, I think, in some ways. Although, yeah. And I will say, she it's not like that across the board mm -hmm. applies mm -hmm. to every situation. No. Because there, there was that, if you remember a while ago, she was working at that place where when she got pregnant, they were like, oh, yeah. oh we don't want you in the front <sighs> up anymore. You're going to be down in the basement because yeah. you're pregnant. Totally. Yeah, you're not appealing. You have you have less value to us now. Which honestly just kind of plays back into being punished for not being what seen the way people want her to be seen. Right. And she knew back then yeah. that that was crap. Totally. Right? And it was something that wasn't fair. That's that's the justice warrior mm -hmm. thing that wasn't that. okay. But for her, it was taking that up for someone else, whether mm -hmm. it's her kids or a coworker yes. or yes. siblings, that'll do. To take it up for myself, it's, no. I can take it. Yeah. She will go on the crusade. I can't remember what you guys called it. Like, the righteous quest. The righteous for quest for justice. That's Man, right. just like. Well, and, and it's, to me, that all comes back to value. Mm -hmm. How mm -hmm. do you value yourself? What value is for somebody else is not going to be what value is for her. And that goes back to snake oil sales. Totally. I mean, it's I cut some of the identifiers, but they were doing a performance for family mm -hmm. yeah, and, and raising money for the cult. And she was kind of going, God, they don't get it. They yeah. just don't get it. Yeah. But they did get it. They got a performance and that's mm -hmm. what they wanted. Totally. There was a lot of other stuff that went along with that. That was probably not okay. Yeah. Totally. And like, I thought that was such an like interesting concept, the snake oil sa salesman versus like 
owing something and reciprocity and right, right. this idea of like, it feels yucky to her. Yeah. I yeah. love, well, I guess this is a terrible, I don't love the word yucky, but like, it's such a descriptor. Yeah. The same, like I have clients who are like, I just feel gross. Right. And like gross isn't really, it, it feels very young. Yeah. Yucky yeah. feels young. Like it sounds <laughs> like she is eight or nine years old going, I feel yucky. Yeah. And there, there's, but, I don't know if it comes from 12 step or what. I, I think I heard, <laughs> first heard it. My sister said this, mm. don't yuck my yum. Yeah. When you're just feeling that yum and that, that sensation, mm. that's great. Like you don't want to get yucked. You don't yeah. want to get, yeah. don't like that feeling. And yeah. it just, it really does stick on you and get on you. And, and it's, it's yucky yeah. and it's slimy. We don't like it. Yeah. I, I think that <laughs> finding that, like mm. sifting through that and being okay with it really is mm. about value and how really. you value something and seeing that someone else can value something differently and that's okay. Totally. They don't have to have your values for everything. No. And can we hit on the two robberies thing? Because oh, I yeah, thought yeah, that yeah. was so cool. Oh, thank you. Because like allowing others to show their appreciation of you, but then also stealing from yourself the feeling of being appreciated. Right. Because like, and it's twofold. It's twofold because I think her giving these excuses, and I think all of us do that sometimes being like, oh, I can totally do that. But like, I understand if you're way too busy. Totally. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And that's the, I mean, you guys out there in podcast land don't see it, but if you put one of your hands out like the stop mm-hmm. hand mm-hmm. and the other hand you motion in totally you know, like come come here stop it's come yeah. here stay come here stay it's very very confusing and that's what we do a lot of times when we build in an excuse for somebody mm-hmm. yeah and that's asking for something mm-hmm. is really hard that's yeah. what sarah was saying like yeah. if someone wants to give something to me i don't need reciprocity that's yeah. fine go yeah. ahead that's yeah. cool but if i need to ask something mm-hmm. of someone like totally. that's hard and yeah. that's that's where a lot of us will build in the excuse. We'll kind of do the come, mm-hmm. come, come hands, like, come yeah. on, come on, come on in. And then the stop hands, like, nope, nope. Yeah. Well, if you can't make it, that's okay. I understand. Yeah. If you can't, no worries. Right. And it's, <laughs> and that's the two robberies because then yeah. they can't show their appreciation because you already built in the excuse and it's no mm-hmm. big deal. Well, if it's no big deal. Why are why, you asking? Right. Yeah. And we rob ourselves of like, wow, these people really appreciate me. They're doing this for me. Oh my gosh, that feels great. Yeah. Allowing others to help you. Like I think about asking for help as like this, I'm going to sound a little like out there for a second, but it's like a spiritual act, like allowing Mm. others to help us. Yeah. Yeah. Is a really beautiful opportunity to connect. Totally. I mean, it's unfortunately in our society seen as a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. And I think it is such an incredible strength Mm -hmm. if you lean into it the right way. Like even you being here recording with me on the podcast, Mm -hmm. I asked you to do this and you said, yes, great. Right. And it really is like, cool. And I didn't say, well, you know, but if you can't make it, no problem. I'll, yeah. I'll find somebody else. It's cool. Don't worry about it. Meredith will be back in a week, yeah. whatever. We just delay right. you know, having no the podcast problem. come out. You know, it's not, a, no one's listening. Right. Yeah. But I, I will, I will self-deprecate because that's what I do and just say, oh, you're showing your appreciation, but it's not me. It's the podcast. No, it is. It's, it's me. Yeah. And I take that and it means a lot totally. to me that you came here. You're showing your appreciation for me. I get to feel appreciated and it's the podcast. And that's amazing. Correct. Yeah. What a cool thing and a way to feel valued Mm -hmm. because I didn't stop. I didn't, I didn't give you that excuse built in. Yeah. I just allowed you to say yes or no. And who's, come on, who's going to say no to me? Really? Well, I actually didn't say no to Beckett. So no. (laughs) Yeah. No, but like when it's also a mixed message, because if you're telling someone like, hey, I would really appreciate it if you could do this. But if you can't, like, I also totally understand. How do you read that? Does this person need my help or don't they? And for her, it's coming to understand like what it is to allow others in. And be seen in this way that as not as weak, as not as the victim, as not as someone who is less than. Totally. Right? Because I think as society, we like, if you're asking for help, obviously there's something wrong for you, with you. Right. I love it because we kind of did the hypothetical of like, if we stop recording. Oh my God. How that was. Yeah. This is, I think, a very cool exchange, but I could Mm -hmm. 
go for it. What you think of it before I tell you how cool I am. (laughs) I thought it was really cool because one, you challenge the power dynamic. Right. Again. Yeah. Uh It's cool to see you doing that. Like Mm. in the sense of like, well, what if I said that to you and her being able to own, wow. I, cause she has so much respect for you and your time. Right. But also like, doesn't want to take up space. It, it was really just highlighting everything that you guys had already talked about with the two robberies. Exactly. Like it was, I love the real time stuff. Cause you can spend, I'm going to go with probably two and a half years going through every event of her childhood, right. maybe right. up to five. Who knows? Right. I'm just being conservative in my estimate right now. Well, I'll, I'll side note, she is uncovering some things, listening mm-hmm. to another podcast about cults and just yeah. going, oh my gosh, wait, yeah. this actually happened. And these people oh. are talking about the cult that I was in. That's my experience. And it's wow. bringing up a lot of stuff and it's a lot of repressed memories. And of it's course. really cool that yeah. she's able to see them and now has a safe place to come mm. talk about it and process it. Totally. And I'm a firm believer that things bubble up and come into our awareness when we are actually in a place where we can process and right. heal from it. And now we can recognize it. Totally. So now we can process and release it. Exactly. Because if she had heard that two years ago when she wasn't where she is now, it might've gone in one year and out the other and be like, that never happened to me. Right. We never, <laughs> we don't know, but like right. if something, I don't know, I, I think about this a lot. If something's coming up, it means that you are in a place. Right. Right. And that's, it's the protective mechanism. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of go, oh, wait, instead of protecting, let me bring this in and Mm -hmm. see if I can do something. Totally. Right. Yeah. But that's okay. I I jumped in. You were talking about when I said the the power dynamic of Mm -hmm. if I stopped recording and what would that look like? And yeah. So you can spend all this time looking at her childhood, but instead of you can unpack all of that, but looking at the power dynamic around the podcast and recording and money, right? but also pulling in that email too, that she was sending mm, right? where you're doing real time. Like this is where the residue comes up for you today. Yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. And again, for her, if somebody wanted to give something to her, mm-hmm. that's fine, but she's asking for something. Mm-hmm. And if it's somebody else, it's mm-hmm. easier. If yeah. it's for her kids, for a fundraiser, it's totally. easier, yet it's still coming up and we could take the way that we listen as therapists mm-hmm. is we hear, oh, there's a little bit of this here. Mm-hmm. If we bring that little bit out and we mm-hmm. highlight it, you get to work on this thing mm-hmm. that goes back to the trauma, to mm-hmm. the response, to the protective mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And we break it down in something seemingly innocuous, like yeah. sending an email about, hey, will you buy candy bars and magazine subscriptions yeah. for my kid's school. Yeah. But if you can't, no worries. Right. No, but what I loved was this idea where she was like, I trust that you would tell me your boundaries right? and you right. get to be this example for her as someone who knows their own limits, knows their own worth, knows their own boundaries. And she can start modeling that because who knows, Doug, like, you might be the first example of like a cisgender white male who is respectful of someone else's boundaries to her. Right. Like, I mean, we never know. That's where, you know, a lot of therapists will say that the healing happens in the relationship. Yes. And that was Bonnie's point last yeah. week of like the relationship that you have with her can be very, very healing for that. And just by virtue of that relationship. Yeah. Great. To me, it, it's so cool. And one thing that I've noted here mm-hmm. is that in talking about value, she's looking at, I think I even said, I'll put a pin in something. Mm-hmm. Yes. One of those things is she's looking at it as she values my time. Yes. And it's for the podcast and she mm-hmm. values that. Yeah. I value her. Mm-hmm. Just the work that I do with any one of my clients, not just her because she's on the podcast, mm. her because she's a human being. And her because she's a client. And this is how I think of my clients. Mm-hmm. I value them. Totally. I value their time. And I don't know that she gets it that way. And that's okay. I'm, I know that she values the work that she's doing. And she values therapy. Mm-hmm. Not me. I mean, she values me too. That's great. Mm-hmm. And I do take that in. She values therapy. That's what we're talking about. That has value. That's her time. Yeah. Not me as the expert giving her therapy for 50 minutes. No. It's like the work you're doing together in the room. That's what really is the currency. Yes. And it's your time. It's her time. It's the work. Right. Yeah. And I think sometimes as therapists, 
it's an honor for us to be in the room, like hearing these things, doing this work. That's at least how I think about it. For someone to trust you with their ooey gooey insights. <laughs> that's always what I call it. <laughs> hey, you got your yuck, you got your ooey gooey. Yeah, yeah all that like, stuff, right? Totally. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it really is at our most vulnerable in therapy and, mm-hmm. and seeing that and really having that safe space and that trust in yourself to yeah. do that and bring that. And she is doing that and bringing that. And it's great. And it was interesting too, in that talking about the value, I even said, do you value yourself? And she's, well, you know, I'm working on that, but you know, it'll always Mm -hmm. be in the back of my mind that this, this like, all right, well, okay. And I love that she brought back in, well, I'm going to put a pin in something, you know, right at the end. And if it weren't at the end, we would have talked about it differently. But she said the thing about, uh, essentially, I want to make sure I'm not an asshole. Mm. right in valuing myself and and the arc of things right the pendulum exactly right exactly it's oh right you've had experiences with these extreme narcissists the cult leader the ex-husband these people Mm -hmm. in your life some bosses yeah that were like that so you're guarding against that yeah so you're you're already a little more timid on Mm -hmm. the spectrum and that pendulum of valuing yourself because you don't want to be the thing that has impacted you, that repels you, that we judge. And I use that word judgment because we do, right? Yeah. And it's one of the things she stands against. So it would make sense that she really doesn't want to in some way associate herself with what has been historically really hurtful to her. And traumatic for her. Exactly. Just to go back to the word she doesn't like. Right. I've I've said it to her and I I mean it. Ex-husband is and always will be in her mm-hmm. life because he's the father of her children. Co-parents. Right? And that is current tense. Yeah. Present tense. Yeah. Traumatic. Correct. At any moment, he could pull some ridiculous stuff with mm-hmm. high-priced lawyers yeah. that she can't really fight very well. She doesn't mm-hmm. have the same resources that he has. So there's a fear there. Yeah. And yet she still gets through and goes, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Yeah. You have to live in some of that. Right. Her stepping into this idea of her worth. And I think for all of us, that's really hard to like learn to value ourselves, our time, our energy, which I know is something you hit a lot with Drew too. Just to wrap it up is this idea of I'm worth it. Mm. But then, Mm. and it's something I know you talk about with clients. It's something I talk about a lot with clients is like scarcity versus abundance. Yeah. And this idea of like, there's not enough. There's a finite amount of resources to like, there's plenty for everyone, man. Right. <laughs> like, and I don't know right. why I say it in a stoner voice, but I do. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's that thing about hors d'oeuvres at the party. Like if yeah. you carry them around, make sure everybody else is fed and you get nothing. I mean, how many parties have you hosted where you make sure everybody's <laughs> got their drinks filled, the food and this and that, but you finish and you're like, Oh, good. That's over. I'm so hungry and thirsty. Totally. I always hear about brides on their wedding days, how they don't eat at their own reception. Right. That sounds insane. I mean, you, you, you test all the food, you taste all the food, you don't eat all the food when you're there. And that's, that's it's wild. Yeah. And it goes back to this idea of like being a part of it, but also like how do you take care of yourself in the middle of that? Like you need to have an appetizer too. Right. Otherwise you're not going to secure your own oxygen mask before helping others. Exactly. It goes into that. But also like if you're approaching things from this attitude of like, there's enough for everyone. Yeah. Like I can have my needs met. And so can you. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. I like that. I like that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. There we go. Mic hmm. drop. Hmm. <laughs> Although gonna, the mics are on hmm. boom arms so they don't drop. Yes. Well, that would just be a little strange if. It just like fell don't, off. don't drop the mic. It'll make a loud noise, scare Beckett, and it might hurt the mic. But, um, you know, mm, metaphorically yeah. speaking, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we really are coming more and more to her valuing herself and valuing the experience that she has and that she had in mm-hmm. terms of building these protective mechanisms, like Bonnie said last week, the yeah. systems of safety. Totally. And it is honoring what she's been through to be where she is. Mm-hmm. Can we honor where she is and where she's going? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys will see because we'll keep going. Mm. You will hear us week after week. Yeah. I think uh, next week, Mare will be back with us. Yay. She has secured another place to live. So she is no longer homeless. She going to have more tattoos? Uh, she might actually. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's, she's always getting them. 
but you guys can keep up with us on social media. You can find us wherever you guys are, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Look for your mental breakdown. Chances are we're there. And if we're not, let us know. Find us. You can email us. Yeah, totally. At yourmentalbreakdown.com. What? At yourmentalbreakdown.com? Whatever you want. (laughs) I think it all gets to us. Info at yourmentalbreakdown.com. Shoot us an email. Write us a review. Name your firstborn after Meredith, not me, because that would make me uncomfortable. Um, (laughs) That's a boundary. Right. There you go. (laughs) And I will, uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks, Sasha. No problem. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Bye.